guys. Thanks for tuning in this week. This episode is coming out a little bit later. Had to do a little bit of editing and put it up. And we also went for two hours. Uh, awesome conversation with Greg Labonte of Maine Fly Guys. If you haven't checked him out, I highly recommend him. Uh, for inspiration, some tying stuff. Uh, also a great resource for some you know, very affordable fly lines and reels and tippet material. He makes some crazy awesome flies as well. Um, and he's also an absolutely insane person when it comes to fly fishing. Man, still fly fishing. He fished the day we recorded. Um, but yeah, I appreciate everyone listening. And we'll get right to the interview. Now you are. All right, guys. So we're here with Greg Labonte of Maine Fly Guys. Um Probably if you listen to us or follow us on Instagram, there's a good chance you follow him. But he's um, probably one of the coolest fly fishing influences on on Instagram from Maine that I've seen. Um, so thanks for coming on, man. And uh, why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about yourself before we? Yeah, yeah. Uh, thanks for thanks for having me. First off, yeah, um, absolutely. I don't know. I don't know about coolest. That's a <laughs> that's my <laughs> high five. You're cooler but, uh, than Aaron. That's all that matters. Yeah, you're cooler than Aaron. Well, <laughs> I, I I won't deny that. That's that's the truth right there. So that's for sure. But uh, yeah, so I'm the founder and CEO of Maine Fly Guys. Um, basically, I started it uh, the company as a way to educate anglers about fish. You know, that was pretty much why I started it. And then uh, I. I always had an issue growing up of paying, paying for stuff, you know, cause I wasn't, I didn't have money. Like I just had no money. And so I really loved to fly fish, but it was always, you know, especially in college when I really, really started to just fly fish, really get into it. I had an issue of, well, do I pay for gas to drive to college or do I get the new fly line that I yeah. need? And so <laughs> that, that was always a big issue to me. And I, I didn't understand it. Um, so I looked into manufacturing and I started making my own stuff at um, basically really affordable prices. So no kid will ever have to choose again between gas and a fly line. They'll always have an alternative um, if they're in that spot. So I sell um, reels, fly line, tippet, leader, pretty much everything you need to get on the water. Um, and I sell it at a stupid stupid low price i'm a bad yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah i definitely noticed I'm, that like, i'm not a I'm... yeah go ahead um definitely noticed that it's like just i mean what one of your floating five weight lines is what 35 bucks or something like that which is pretty much unheard of across the board and it, and it's yeah. cool to to see that because it's just it's ridiculous what some people will pay and not even think of to to get out on the water and you really don't need to do that. I get it. I mean, good gear is good gear, but you're making good quality stuff at an affordable price, which is huge. Yeah. You, and that, it, oh, Go ahead. It, it's not the reason I'm doing it is because it's not my day job. You know, I'm a teaching professor at the university of new England. So I'm just doing this really to help people out. I'm not doing yeah. it. Like I make, I make no, no money on it. I've never made a cent off this. So it's like, you know, 
I guess I don't preach that enough because I, I don't really care if people know or not, but yeah. you know, it's like, I just want people to get out on the water. And I think having more anglers is better for fisheries because then what you do is when you get more anglers out there, you get more people invested in it, more people voting on preserving and conserving lands and, and conserving fisheries. So I, I think getting people on the water is a great way to protect the fishery moving forward. Yeah. Um, as long as they're using it appropriate. And that's really the second aspect of my company is like, Hey, let's get you on the water and then let's teach you. These are the best practices. These are the right things to do. There's a little history about it, you know, stuff like that. So now did you so, yeah. like, you have a big background, like your educational wise in ecology or biology. Is that what you're Yeah. Degree? So I, my degree is in fisheries. So yeah. I studied fish for, I have a couple degrees, but my, you know, my background is fisheries. I studied and researched fish for a combined almost 10 years. And now I teach ecology and sometimes fisheries. Um, yep. So, you know, that, that's my background. So it felt I wasn't doing anything with it really. And so I was like, boy, what a waste of like eighty thousand dollars to just <laughs> <laughs> to just hold that knowledge in you know so yeah so yeah now you, you're so your educate was your love of fishing did that drive you towards your 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 schooling is that why you wanted to do fisheries or was it flipped well this is a good story this is a good story actually i haven't even i haven't told this on on my podcast either so my first year of undergrad I got, I was a physics major and I loved physics and I thought I was really good. And I ended up getting a one O GPA my first semester because, nice. you know, I went to, I went to UMaine and it's easy to get lost. You know, I was like smoking pot till 1am every day, drinking on the week, you know, yeah. party scene. And, uh, so I, I was like, I've got to make a change. And so I basically, um, looked around i didn't even know you could major in fish in fish you know what i mean yeah, i didn't yeah. even know what wildlife <laughs> i didn't know that was a possibility so i found that and i said well i really like to fish and i like to be outdoors and stuff so let's give it a crack so i gave it a crack and fell, fell in love with it did much much better in school and and found my path that's that's cool to hear yeah everybody kind of goes through that yeah part i i didn't go to college out of high school and actually just this year i i went i'm 35 and i and i went back to community college for a stint and my i had to do like a phone call orientation and i had completely forgotten about it and when they called me we were out fishing on his boat so i had to yeah i had to... <laughs> we're sitting off the rocks out off a of cattery down here his phone rings he's like hello yeah <laughs> Yeah, this is so and so from the admissions office. He's like, oh, <laughs> completely forgot about you. I'm gonna uh, have to call you back. Yeah, can I call you back? <laughs> Starting off good. Starting off good. <laughs> yeah, it's funny too because I I teach mostly freshmen, and so it actually helped me a lot with my current job because when I see students struggling, I can be like, hey, don't worry, you, you got time to turn yeah. it around. Absolutely. You just got to turn it around, you know? So, yeah. yeah, that was, that was my, I went to Maine Maritime and that's, uh, that was, a. Uh, I I will admit 
and I'm not trying to showboat, but I did end up with a 0.8 GPA after my sophomore spring semester. <laughs> we did a lot of, a lot of drinking. It was synonymous with that academy, and I I was involved in duck hunting. Duck hunting was always my first passion, and then got hooked into fly fishing a little bit later in life. Fly fishing ran through my family. My grandfather was a main guide actually was on a float plane trip when my father was born and like that's his fishing basket from fucking the sixties. Um, but he never taught my father how to fish, never taught my father how to fly fish. I end up learning from one of our best friends in exchange for, Oh, uh, it was like a work release program through, uh, going down to his Island to help him out with some tree work and just keeping up on the cottages. And I was like, all right, dude, I'll come down and help you, but you're teaching me to fly fish. And that was almost 15 years ago at this point. And it was the worst financial decision I've ever made. Yeah. <laughs> yeah get into fly fishing. <laughs> get into fly fishing. You won't be able to afford drugs. But now, like, it's yeah. pretty cool. Like, I, I taught my old man how to fly fish. We fish a lot together. He's, he sends me your stuff every day. He's like, this crazy bastard's out here fishing already. Like, <laughs> he's still fishing right now. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just but, went today. I went yeah. out today uh on a pond on a lake i went on a lake that's, today that's, that's absolutely and, incredible. Uh, it was it was it was actually funny i had to my i took my little john boat out and it's got a square you know it's got a square square front and uh i had to get through like 20 feet of ice to get out but the rest of the pond was open and oh it, it sucked it sucked trying to break through it was like two inches of pretty solid ice and it took me like 20 minutes to get through it with my square John boat. But, uh, but, but yeah, you went it, out. Was, uh, it was, it was a sight. I'm sure. Absolutely. Yeah. It was good. Fishing was pretty good and nobody else on the pond. So it was, it yeah. was a good day. <laughs> so, and another aspect of your business is fly tie, which I mean, you, you have a lot of innovation and just incredible stuff there. Um, what, pushed you and that's something garrett and i have you know over the last me it's been the last couple of years but garrett the last four or five have have gotten into that and what what pushed you from your fishing background to get into fly tying yeah the cost so of flies that happened yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah well I'll say fly tying when you get serious, it doesn't save any money whatsoever. Yeah, no, it's like hundred percent no. Chicken chick chicken feathers, man. Who who knew chicken feathers would cost wow. so much? You know, it's, it's like, crazy. Jesus Christ. But um what it was was I was working um with this guy in college and we were we were working um trap trap netting fish up in like the St. Freud region. And uh, he was a big fly tire and he was a big fly angler. And he said, Oh, you should get into fly tying. So I was like, All right, you know. And some old lady, this, <laughs> this is why you should always tell your significant other exactly how, how much your fly fishing stuff costs. <laughs> because, <laughs> because, so her husband passed away and she was selling all his fly tying stuff. And it was just perfect. I just saw it on Craigslist. I was just cruising, looking for stuff. I was just starting out. And she was like, the lot, 100 bucks. And I was looking at it, and I was like, 
showed my buddy and I said, Hey, is this a good deal? You know? And he was like, dude, he's like, if you don't buy that right now, I'm, I'm buying it. And I was like, all right. <laughs> so I went to the old lady, gave her a hundred bucks and looking back on it, she should have sold it for easily a thousand, easily a thousand dollars. And so I had this huge, you know, law of materials, vices, tools, all that stuff. And, uh, I started tying and I sucked. Oh, I sucked so bad. I mean, it was atrocious and it was painful and I hated every second of it. And YouTube wasn't really a big thing back then, you know, like yeah. there weren't videos like there are today. So I just said, you know what, I'll stick with it. And then after the first year, I caught my first fish on a fly that I tied and that, that was it. That that's yeah. what, but there's some, there's something more gratifying about, tying your own flies and then catching a fish on the fly that you tied. It's just, it's, it's that next step, I guess. If you're looking at the evolution of an angler, that's another big step is making your own creations to fool the fish that you're targeting. And so yeah. once that happened, it's sunk in and I just went ballistic and yeah. I was tying every day. And I guess what people don't realize is it's just like any other sport if you take time away from it, you're going to suck. But the more, if you really put the practice in, you will get much, much better because you learn these little details about the materials and what not to do. And yeah, so I took off from there and then I, uh, then I started collecting bugs. That's when it really like really took off to a new creative level. I started collecting bugs and then replicating them basically. Not, that that's inspired me a lot is just to look at the natural world and see boy the bugs in the water are way more creative than anything a human can make yeah and so i just did my best to try to you know how can i fool a fish in thinking it's eating something that is real you know and that's where it yeah. took off and it never the great thing about fly tying is boy it's endless you just there's nothing that you you can't do you know, it's just, it's endless and, and you're learning. I'm still learning a, a ton of stuff every day, you know? So, yeah. yeah so lifetime is awesome. I, I love it. It's so funny too, where like you can watch a hundred videos on the same fly and pick up 10 different things that everyone did different that you can add to make your life easier. Like no one, it's, I mean, it's similar to fly casting. No one has the same cast, you know, it's truly like, a river runs through it like you have your own cast it's what's natural to you and you have to find it and like fly tying is the same way where it's like find what works for you like i like to tie with my vice cocked i hate a straight on vice it's just the way i like to work and that's the way i tie best and it's like but watching other videos and just the other problem with watching videos though is you just start writing down a shopping list to go see Jim at Eldridge brothers. <laughs> and I end up going to buy one fly worth of stuff. And I'm like, all right, well that one fly just cost me $74. All right. Well, we're going to yeah, tie yeah. 400 of them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I w it will. There is a point though, where you start overlapping and you can use other materials. I'll say it takes about, I don't know, like 10 years. And then and you're like, Oh, I need this. And then you look through your stuff and you're like, and you're like, Oh, Oh, I, I, I already have, I already have that. <laughs> I have yeah. that, you know, it's yeah. like, yeah. so yeah, it's, it's, it's a mess. And then I'm not a great organizer. Like I, I'm okay, but organizing fly tying materials, that is a, 
those are unique people. Whoever can organize really well, those are strange cats. They are you probably can't see strange right, people right here, but it's like there's five different bucktails. There's seven different pieces of flash. This is how I tie. <laughs> <laughs> Just pick Huey up. has a nice pegboard. Everything's laid out. Everything's perfect. I'm like, yeah, I don't have that gene. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, like, yeah, and, I can. And naturally, like when it comes to work. Like my job, I'm the most unorganized person in the world. But my fly tying desk, like I put up a piece of pegboard and I've got, I spent like 30 bucks on Amazon and bought all the different pegboard hooks. And I have like the flat different flashes and holders. And my wife is like, I don't understand how every other aspect of your life is so disorganized, but you come in <laughs> here and you lay like when I start tying, I'll, I'll take all the hooks and I'll put the beads on them. If I'm using beads or, you know, line everything up, have all the materials laid out and, and just start tying. But I get to work and I don't write anything down and I can't remember. It's, I don't know. My boss is the same way. He's like, I just don't get it, but is what it is. Yeah. It's, Hey, you gotta, I, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit of the opposite, you know, but you gotta find somewhere you, you can't be organized <laughs> all the time, you know? So yeah. it's right. You know, but the other thing about fly tying is like, I've recently just started, I don't ice fish a lot, but I've started to tie like jigs, you know, like jig flies for Lakers and stuff like that. And it, you can, you know, I've tied a bunch of saltwater uh, lures for people. They do the bucktail jigs. And like, so it's like people that are like, oh, it's just for fly fishing. That's, that's not true at all. You can really expand and do a lot of ice fishing jigs with it. A lot of saltwater lures with it. So it's, it's, you know, it's versatile. It doesn't have yeah. to just be flies. And like, you can get crazy too, where you, the flies I'm tying right now, you guys probably can't see, but I'm tying these huge eels for yeah. summer for summer stripers. And it's like, it feels like a lure to me. They're so massive and like, you can just get crazy, you know? So it's like, the other thing is with fly tying is I hate, 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 hate tying dry flies. I hate it with a passion. And I tie like several th thousand a year and I cannot stand every second of it. But I love <laughs> tying, <laughs> I love tying musky flies. Like big, bulky, meaty flies are my favorite. I could do that every second of every day. And that was something that, came after tying a bunch of different flies and i find that that happens with people is they have particular flies that they like to tie and so if you're a new fly tire i would say you should try a bunch of different styles you will find that you're like oh i liked that more than tying something else you know yeah. dry flies are so delicate they're just they're pieces of shit and they they break and you have to tie more of them and i just i hate dry flies they, they drive me absolutely nuts but yeah I've learned big mu like musky pike meaty stuff. Oh, I love that. And you're a big like musky. You love musky fishing. Like that's your your oh, passion. Yeah, as far as that goes. Oh yeah, yeah. Nice. If I could pick one one fish to only fish for, I, it would be musky without really? question. I've yeah, never fished for them. Like I I my my grandfather is a he's an old time fly fisherman from Northern Maine. And, and when the muskie became a thing up in the St. John and in that area, like he was one of the, the old white dudes that was just like, 
pissed off and angry and and at this point i'm like why wouldn't you want to catch one of those I mean, yeah the trout aren't coming back so why not try to catch a massive giant fish on a on a fly rod but he's 84 right. years yeah. old and he's stuck in his ways which i get it to a point yeah i get it too if you know if that if if that fishery was ruined because it was like you know prolific trout fishing up there you know like best in the state yeah. best in the, the country as far as most people are concerned so it's like i get that you know i get that but yeah it's it's at it's at the point now they've been here for 52 years now and that's yeah. confirmed so probably even longer than that so it's like you know they're not you can't get rid of them yeah and no. they're everywhere they're all over the saint john drainage and that's a map i mean that's anyone who's been up there it's god's country up there it's just yeah, massive. It's unreal. You know I mean? like you, yeah. you can't you can't there's just no way so yeah so might as well use what you got you know and yep. there i'll say i wouldn't take a kid up there i wouldn't take someone who like needs to catch fish i wouldn't fish for him for sure catching one in a, a trip is like pretty good on a fly but yeah but man when you catch oh, that 30 seconds 60 seconds of catching them is like such a such an adrenaline rush there's just that's why i like it there's just nothing like it in fly fishing where like yeah. you get like that rush of just adrenaline is just insane it's like jumping off a cliff or any anything that you have those quick quick adrenaline rushes it's just yeah. it's like that and so yeah. that's why I, I i chase it like i chase that adrenaline I'm like a drug addict basically where <laughs> i'm like i just chase that that high you know that yeah. it's just crazy so but yeah yeah that's why i love them that's cool so moving like a little onto the conservation side of stuff, um, I know like listening to your podcast, you're obviously very well versed in that and you have a lot of good ideas. So my question is, if you were named the commissioner of inland fisheries and wildlife today, what would be your first plan or order of business or like first thing you really want to get taken care of i would re oh man what a good what a good <laughs> question i would re revamp the stocking program that would be my number <laughs> one thing i was hoping <laughs> you'd say that oh it's not it's not doing well <laughs> it doesn't work <laughs> because like okay do you guys know the lisbon stretch of the androscoggin river i've never fished it we have a buddy that lives i have a buddy there. that lives on it yeah and mm -hmm. i've never personally that, fished that, it but that stretch has really good pike fishing and smallmouth fishing too but that, that's what massive. he's been doing is he's just been smashing yeah. smallmouths yeah and so they put they stock that with brook trout yeah, and it may, I I just don't get it. Like I don't understand. You can go after they dump the brook trout in. You can go with pretty good sized flies and catch massive pike right where they dump in the brook trout because they just all all the pike just migrate right through there <laughs> yeah. and just open they just open their mouths and just suck down these twelve inch brook trout. So it's like the stocking program needs to be overhauled and just revisited. And I understand we have a ton of water and it's tough to do that because you're going to piss a lot of people off. And 
it it would be a little learning curve for for anglers, but man, the stocking program is just I don't know. It it it's it was done in a way originally that benefited anglers. And as the environment changes and as our fisheries change, we have not adapted our stocking practices to adjust with the changing environment, changing angler needs. And yeah, it just, it needs to be that, that would be my number one thing that needs to be changed. My number two thing, which would almost be my number one is the promotion of non-native fish. IFNW stays away from smallmouth and pike like they are a disease. And it's like in Maine, we have some of the best smallmouth fishing in the country. In the yeah. country, our small, it's amazing. And we could get so, so many people coming here to fish for our smallmouth and our rivers because it's where can you go in the world where you have 30, 40 miles of great smallmouth fishing and you can float it? Right. You just can't you just can't do that elsewhere. IFNW does not promote it. I don't know why. We have unbelievable pike fishing as well. That there's no regulations on that. And IFNW says that they don't manage for invasive species. That's not true because they, they manage brown trout and rainbow trout. Right. Those are invasive species by the by the definition so it's like okay you're, you're just you're either you're picking ignorant. the cute ones yeah, yeah you're either <laughs> you're either ig ignorant which is even worse or you're just purposely lying and uh, you know i guess i'd rather than purposely lie than be ignorant because that would be a whole nother box problem so i think that the promotion of smallmouth and and pike fish like that need to be promoted more as like hey let's use these fisheries Maine is such a poor state, you know, and like if we had more people coming into the state to fish for the fish that are already there, they're not going anywhere. You know, all it would do is provide another economic boost for these little towns like Turner. Turner has a great stretch for pike and smallmouth. Not many people fish it because no one really knows about it. And it's like Turner certainly could use an economic boost, you know, and you yeah. have a gold mine. You have a gold mine of fish right there. It's like just promote it a little bit. Even if they're, it's five, five trucks a weekend, you know, you're all going to go up. You're going to get sandwiches. You're going to get beers. You're going to get drinks and supplies. And yeah, right. It's like, it's, you know, it's, it's, there's a, there's a, a really good opportunity for an economic, economic boost for these towns that really need it. And uh, IFW doesn't want to do it because their response would be, well, we're afraid that people would start to be to move the fish, you know, and it's like, well, you promote rainbow trout and brown trout all the time. Are you worried yeah. about people moving them? You also promote ice fishing. Are you worried about people moving bait around? It's like, yeah, so they're there. I guess the overarching theme that I would change is to be more consistent in our message. Because I find a lot of hypocrisy in their delivery and in their message. And I'll say, Judy Camuso, who's the commissioner now, she's done a very, very good job of increasing education through social channels. She's done a great job of that. It's clear that she's made an effort to, okay, we need to start promoting and being more educating because that we're responsible. We, we, 
take responsibility to to manage these natural resources, we should also be responsible to educate the people who we are governing. Yeah. And so that I applaud Judy Camuso for making that move. Judy also changed the hiring practices, which not a lot of people know about, but she went in and had um, basically an independent reviewer come in and look at hiring practices and the hiring practices are much more equitable now. And that has really changed a lot about who gets hired. We are now nepotism was a big deal for IFNW. You basically could get a job if you were just buddies with Joe Schmo down the street yeah. back in the day. And you guys know the people who work at IFNW, they're old as shit. Yeah. Everyone there is like, <laughs> they're like 70 years old. Yeah. So, you know, you got this job, you're managing these resources, you're, you're 65 years old and you've never had appropriate training. That is an issue. Judy Camuso really solved that with her new hiring practice. So the new hires, and I stay really up to date on the new hires, they've been very, very qualified individuals. And I think that is going to really help where the state's going, not just with fish, but you know, with animals and, and with anything, yeah. forestry. I think that's going to help in the next 50 years. You know, again, yeah. the, the natural resource thing, what's kind of shitty about it is it takes a long time to see change. And so I think over the next few decades, maybe 50 years, I think we'll see a lot of positive changes because of these new hiring practices. Yeah. I, I think that it's just, it's the same with like the warden service too. Like, being i think the best thing that's happened is putting them on tv i know they got into some shit for it but it's like at least you're showing yourselves and like being up front being like i mean we we went up to the sebago bait open house um it was two weeks ago or whatever and you know they had a warden there he was milling around i mean typical old white dude but like at least he was there and like showing up as not an asshole, just like, hey, you know, you guys got questions. I mean, and then New Hampshire's doing it too, where like they're using social media platforms. Cause I think you're getting kids out because they're seeing everything on social media. So you're not having that father influence or that grandfather influence to say, hey, you know, let me go show you the ropes. You're having a lot of people enter this industry of fishing, hunting, ice fishing, whatever it is through kind of mutual friends and not necessarily understanding the respect of the outdoors or the, you know, kind of the unwritten rules of it. And I think them trying to get more involved is, is gotta happen. And also like being a good steward of the sport while you're out there, like <clears throat> there's a duck hunting podcast I listened to where like, I used to have a real hard time talking to other hunters when I'm out there. It's like, just fucking leave me alone. I'll do my thing. You do your thing. Fucking leave me alone. Like we're good. And I was like, well, and they talked about like, hey, you know, if you see two young kids, like I rescued the same two fucking idiots. We were down in Hampton. It's in January. We're out there hunting in the salt marshes. It's like 14 degrees. They had a boat breakdown two weeks in a row. And like I pulled them in both times and like had a talk with them. I was like, you know, guys, I'm not going to be here every time. Like, let's let's think about this, maybe. But it's like, you know. Mm -hmm reaching out and like trying to like actually steward the sport rather than just, you know, be the grumpy old man that sits on the sideline and just bitches that everything's fucked. And it's like, well, we know it is, but if we just bitch about it, we're not getting anything done. And 
And I feel like that's how the IFW was. They're like, well, we're just going to stick with this stocking program. It's what we've done for 50 years. And it's like, yeah, well, it hasn't fucking worked. I mean, like, look at the biggest case in the state is Sebago, right? Mm-hmm. That started with the IFW. They're the ones that destroyed yeah. that fishery. And now they're trying to yeah. destroy the fishery they created. And it's like, <laughs> or why don't you manage that? It is one of the largest, best fisheries for that in this con- in the state. Mm-hmm. And it's the easiest. What? Especially the southern part. Of the yeah. And it's the easiest, most accessible it's right outside of Portland. You could absolutely set that up as a premier ice fishing spot. But instead, you're having tournaments there where every news outlet picks up 75 piles of fish on the ice because mm. degenerate ice fishermen left them. Well, they were told yeah. to. So it's like, well, let's maybe not completely shoot ourselves in the feet here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, it's it's tough. Sebago's, oh boy, Sebago's a sad, sad story. Yeah, but it, it is. Yeah, I, 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 yeah. I agree. The wardens, I, several of my graduating class members at Orono in, in, in wildlife ecology, several of them um, are wardens now. So, you know, one of the biggest things that they say is they're just understaffed. And oh, yeah. so it makes it hard for them to get out there and do stuff like that. <laughs> but they are, they are trying, they are making a concerted effort to get more involved in the public and reach out more. Cause it does, it helps, you know, and it's like, I, I don't I don't understand why IFNW doesn't do that with fisheries biologists. Yeah. Like imagine having a greet and meet with a fish bio, like to go to, you know, do whatever. Like they should do more of that. Absolutely. I know they're spread they're they're spread thin too. I know that for sure. But you know, it you've got to make, make the effort to get out there there and meet these people and that's how you build relations. Because boy, there's no greater rift than the angler versus IF and W. It feels like we're always butting heads with them. Like the the population is just butting heads with them all the time. And it's because we don't know them. Like we don't, yeah. you know, we just think they're just sitting on their ass doing nothing. You know, it's like, so yeah. So it's, uh, it's, it's, it's interesting. Maybe they're spread thin, but I don't think that's an excuse. I think they got to keep doing that. Keep getting out there. Keep meeting people. Yeah. Um, as a as as the new commissioner, what would you do about the law book? Oh, make it a fucking app, Jesus Christ! <laughs> yeah, they. If you, I mean, if you put in for a doe permit last year, then you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know that I and W is not exactly tech savvy. You know, yeah. like <laughs> they're not tech savvy, but yeah, just put in an app. Um, because then, you know, the way they do it now with a PDF, you have to go on and download it. And, you know, I would just put it in an app and then, yeah, you know, I, I don't know why I would still do paper copies because there's still a large volume of people who don't carry their phone. You know, the old timers don't carry their phones with them. Like, you know, just, yeah. So I would still provide a large volume of paper copies, especially like put them at a bait shop. That's where I always used to get mine. I dags in in Auburn. I used to just grab one at dags in Auburn when I went fishing for the first time of the year. So it's like, I I would do both. An app is a great idea. 
super simple. That way you don't need to go through the internet and do all download, whatever, but just put it on an app and paper copies. Like, and then the complexity of the rule book, I, I don't know a good way around the complexity of the rule book because Maine is such a unique state where like each body of water does require unique rules. And so they have been trying for many years to make it more simple because everyone says, well, it's so complicated and it is complicated, yeah. but sometimes, sometimes complicated issues require complicated solutions. Yeah. You know, and so I, I don't see a great way to make it more simple. Um, but I, I do think they could do better at making it easier <laughs> to have the law book on your, your persons. You know, I think they could do better with that. See what I want to see. And I just kind of thought of this because I actually went to a website and they used it was like a Google Maps overlay because Google is mm. fantastic. But yeah. if you can do a Google Maps and you can create your own maps and create your own information on there and provide a link for it. So why doesn't IFNW come up and tag every pond, every body of water they have, and you can section it off, and then you just click on where you want to fish, and it says, all right, here's the rules. And it's not a fucking S code. It's going to tell you what the actual rule is. Because those S codes are the dumbest things in the world. <laughs> like that was just an effort to to save paper, and it's like, yeah, we just want to write it in one spot, and it's like, okay, well, this is fucking mm. stupid. Like, and, and with I, what you said, like with the with the new hiring practices, hopefully in the next ten fifteen years, there's a chance we may see some of this stuff come to light because it's a younger younger face in the IFNW. I feel so bad yeah. for those young kids having to work with all these old fucks. <laughs> yeah. they, they butt heads a ton, you know? It's like, yeah. yeah so I can't imagine. It's, oh, it's, it's terrible, but yeah, that that's actually a great idea. The Google maps one where you just click, cause you can do, they do have a, um, they have the same thing with uh, uh, like class a class B waters where you can, Put it into Google Earth or over oh, to GIS map, and you can see where like Class A, Class B waters are. Yeah. So I don't. They have the technology to easily be able to do that with the law book as well. Right. Um, and yeah, it actually now that you say that, it's like, wow, how have they not? How have they not done that yet? It would just be. It would because, and I mean, it makes the warden's job easier. It makes your mm -hmm. job easier as a fisherman to just be like, hey. All right, I know I'm going to Abbott Pond today. Click on Abbott Pond. Mm -hmm. All right, here's my regulations. All right, sounds good. Let's go. Yeah. And, and yeah. then, like, even, like, bigger stretches, like the Andro, like, there's rules that change as you go on that body of water. Okay. Mm -hmm. be kind of helpful to fucking know where I am and what I'm, what laws I might be breaking at this point. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. It, yeah, an, intera an interactive map. It wouldn't be that hard. It really would. They could even they could even make their own app and do that. You know, what I mean? what like I they could have their own app. That that would be that's a really great idea. We were talking about that on here not too long ago, like having an app where you can tag a tag a deer electronically, and just be mm. able to go on there and get your tag number and print off the paper tag or whatever with your tag number on it for transportation, just because it's so frustrating when you like, when you shoot a deer 
and then you, you you have to field dress it. If it's warm out, you got to try to get it on ice and then get it to a tagging station. So somebody can enter all your information into their computer, come out, put the tag on it. So you then you can bring it to a processor and process, process it yourself. But by the time that you leave the tagging station, you have an email with all that information that you just gave them. So it's as a like for me as a deer hunter, like that that's super frustration. Super frustrating yeah. for me because it's just three more things that I need to worry about after I harvest this deer in at four o'clock at night. And, right. and the way I hunt I hunt earlier in the year a lot more because it's lighter later. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes like when I shot my deer this year, it happened to be on one of the warmer days and I had to shove it full of ice before I could bring it to a tagging station. So I really don't want to mess around with that. Right. That or, at least, yeah. or, or at least call a warden and say, Hey, can you, can we meet somewhere and tag this deer instead of trying mm-hmm. to be, because there's not a lot of places that tag deer anymore. Yeah. At least in our yeah. part of the state. Yeah. Especially yeah. South of Augusta. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah it's it's dwindling for sure uh, there's only around i'm in gorham and there's only there's one in buxton and then there's one in gray yeah. and the person who used to do it in gorham they didn't do it this year so it's like i if i shot one in gorham then i'd have to go to buxton yeah. you know what i mean yeah and, yeah, and, and and with the weather now it's friggin' warm as shit all the way some i mean this year it was warm a lot in november you know it was yeah. very warm so yeah yeah, it's it's interesting. What do, well, you guys? I hunt. I'm an amateur hunter at best, so but I, I get out as much as I can. What do you guys feel about hunting on Sundays? Absolutely allow it. Yeah, I I'm for it. Um, I think it, at first just to appease, like just as like kind of a uh, breaking of bread. I say you go resident only on Sundays for ten years. Just yeah, as like I mean, I, just just as a way to say, hey, we don't want to, you know, we'll we'll stop the red license plates coming up on Sundays. They can't hunt on Sundays up here. You have to be a main resident, not a main property owner. We're not pulling that bullshit. I don't care mm-hmm. if you have a camp here. You don't live here. <laughs> Piss mm-hmm. off. I live in a. I've lived in York my whole life. Is a terrible mm-hmm. tourist town. It sucks. Mm-hmm. I hate it. But <laughs> and that's but. Just say, hey, it's going to be residents only. So it's all people in this state for Sundays mm-hmm. for whatever, five, ten years. And then after that, let's revisit it. If there's no issues and we haven't had, you know, Sally who wants to go walk her dogs on Sunday. She doesn't get her dog shot. Then, all right, well, your concerns are fucking gone. Sorry. We're moving on. Mm-hmm. We're moving forward. I would love to see it just yeah. so like because there's a lot of people that work six days a week and it's tough for them to get out and hunt unless they make time, like take time off from work to get out there and hunt. So having Sundays off, that would be huge for me just as a, I'd be able to do it more. I wouldn't have to rush. I'd, I'd be able to enjoy it more. So. I, it's also the benefit for like, cause I waterfowl hunt. So I hunt a lot of border water. I buy Maine and New Hampshire licenses. New Hampshire is much more friendly than Maine for out-of-staters, which is great. It's only like 60 bucks a year for me to hunt there. So I hunt Sundays. 
I, I mean, I, I hunt over, well, not this year, the past five years I've hunted over 65 days a year easily between all the different season dates and everything. I'll hunt pretty much from October until the end of December. And we're still going now in Maine. So I think there's like, something like that. And you can tell me what you think, but like moving to a, to a hunting on Sunday, landowner relations are going to have to increase even more than what they are now, just because there's a lot of public land that may end up people want post it because they don't want people hunting on it seven days a week. I don't know if that will be the case, but there's a possibility for it. Um, but that's just my take on it. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. I, I think you've already seen so much land get posted in the past 10 years around here that I don't think mm-hmm. if we had done it 10 years ago and made Sunday hunting, I don't think you would have seen any different than what we have for land availability right now. Yeah. Yeah. I always, it never made any sense to me. Like, you know, Susie wanted to take their dog for a walk. They had, you know, 11 months. Yeah. It seems fair. <laughs> yeah. It seems, you know, that, that argument never made sense. And it, I would be in favor for it. I like taking the main approach to like, you know, we, Every other resource you can use on Sunday. Yeah. Only it's no sense log on Sunday. There's no logins logging on Sunday. You know, I just yeah. sense to um plow hunting on Sundays. I I'm I'm an amateur here, I would say. So yeah, guys thoughts because I know you guys are a little more hunting verse yeah. I am, but but you know, yeah, so that's that's interesting. I just, I, I don't think, I mean, the restrictions and the amount of land loss we've seen in the past, I've personally seen in the last 10 years, I don't think it would matter if we made Sunday hunting or not at this point. Mm-hmm. I think the people that are really, really hard against it are already hard against hunting to begin with. And those are the loudest people with probably the deepest pockets. But I think maybe if you take the, you know, main resident only route, you might be able to squeak it through, but like I said, it really, I mean, the only time it affects me is when I want to go partridge hunting and get away for three, three days instead of two. That would be huge. That would be so much nicer to be able to hunt on Sundays. But yeah, I agree. And like with Maine too, you know, King state, it's like guys who want to get up typically only, Especially because the day switches, you're like, well, I'm working. I go, it's dark, and I come dark, and it's like, boy, I yeah. only got Saturday. I got kids. Well, maybe I got obligations on Saturday. So it's like, you know, just kind of, it feels like a little bit. I need yeah. to have available on Sunday. Um, Back to kind of the, the fly fishing side of it. In some of your podcast episodes you've talked about having like an informational like you have to have a hunter safety course having mm-hmm. a a fish conservation course which i honestly think is a great idea or at least have some sort of informational when you buy a fishing license something that you have to something that they give you that you're going to read 
or look at. We need boater safety before we need fish safety. I'm sorry. Well, <laughs> <laughs> oh, my it man, this subject this subject makes me it's so irritating. It's so easy. And need I'm not asking to be required. Hunter safety is required. Yeah. And yeah. online. Like it'd be together a little class that is not mandatory, not actually mandatory, although it would be great if it was mandatory. You could put together a class that anyone can take as soon as it's your first license or whatever, or they just time you get your license. Just here, yeah. here's a class. Like and yeah, they, they should their email is huge. I'm sure you guys get their emails. You know, yeah. it's mad. So it's like just put a little on that uh, uh, tips for better. Here's uh, uh, educational about. Yeah. Oh, so easy that they have there to do that. Why would they not take that opportunity to no sense? You are required to get for every natural resource use out there. You're required to. You can't go down and cut trees whenever you want. You have to have you have to have ending of the natural resource. You can't just go hunt whenever you want. You have to have a course. You can't just go you want. Drivers like it's like Yeah. Yeah. We do life for and we have classes that are associated with things you need to get since four. Or I no sense no sense and the people who are opposed i don't understand how you could be a with because when you get into it if they did it right it would be monotonous and it wouldn't be boring yeah interesting like people are interested i they they actually interested in learning about that opportunity it, it's also like it's the resource that you're trying to promote because the yeah. more educated users are, the better off the, the source is going to be. So I'm like, okay, you have an opportunity to invest in source actively choose not because you're fucking in the to do anything. That's why it's like yeah. you're afraid and they, they, they need to change that big time. They just need to do it. They need to try it. I put out an article. Ten, ten didn't know about Brooklyn. That, that would be most article of the entire year. Yeah. yeah. It's just like, and I have, I have talked to people and they will, I'll for you to do like just yeah. a, just 20 minute snippet on because do. don't, rip the gills out of it you know it means like basic stuff not getting into the tedious stuff of okay should you use a barbed hook or a barbless hook not tedious stuff like that are could occur no, don't squeeze shit out of a fish for 10 minutes while you're trying to and then chuck it in the water like it's gonna you know it sound like okay but i keep that every year so there's obviously a gap in knowledge in the community. Here's a way to reach a large portion of 
to get them which resource out. I don't get it. I don't get it. It wouldn't even it wouldn't even cost them any money. Right. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing too, where it's like like even something as stupid as like you know people are gonna want to take pictures with fish. So let's just demonstrate like the least harm possible to a fish of like support the body. Don't just hold it by the jaw and hold it out like this, like an asshole, like support the body, support the fish, you know, closest to the water, make sure your hands are wet and let's move on. Like let's, you know, give the fish the best chance to survive whatever you've done to it. I mean, that's one of the things I've good buddies with James Brown, who's huge fly fisherman here for stripers. Um, He's an absolute maniac when it comes to catching stripers from the shore on a fly rod. Insane. Probably. But his his biggest push is, you know, stripers and what it's not just Maine because it's, you know, stripers are a migratory fish. You're trying to deal with everyone down to Virginia and even parts of North Carolina where it's like, all right, let's all get on the same page, maybe with some limits here of how not to kill this entire population and then they change every new director has a new change because they want to implement it and it's like well let's let's stick with consistency and maybe try and recover a fishery that appears to be struggling you know and same thing with you know even like you know promote the fuck out of bass fishing in this state no one knows about it if anyone's caught a bass on a fly rod probably one of the fucking most fun things to do you know yeah, a native rookie. There's nothing that's going to beat a main native rookie on a fly rod. I'm sorry. It's just, it is what it is, especially on a dry fly. I'm a dry fly purist. I'll never fucking <laughs> nymph fish strictly <laughs> ever. I got a kick out of out, out. It was a podcast you were on with Aaron and I think Nate White, and the subject of Euro nymphing came up and you were like, well, it's not, it's Euro nymphing is not fly fishing. It's Euro Nymphing. <laughs> yeah. I just gotta <laughs> I, I gotta chuckle out of it. <laughs> yeah, I you know again the in Maine, which is totally arbitrary. Old guy made this law. There's no it's not like a natural law that the fly line has to propel the fly. Just guys <laughs> said that and at one point. So but putting that aside the definition of fly is that the fly line has to fly. And your own, you don't even need to have your fly out because they have really long leaders. So by definition, it can't be made according to yeah. law. Yeah. I'm not saying I agree with law, but I'm just saying <laughs> all these guys, your own thing on only water, like they're by the word of the law, I'm a huge believer in language. Like yeah. language is, is is paramount for me. By the language uh, that is not fly fishing, so your own thing not be allowed in any fly fishing on water. So that being said, brook trout, native brook trout fly fishing, like way down on my list. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Catch, catch uh, a bass. I catch a bass. Yeah. Then a, then a, uh, you know, rookie. But those those things, it's like, you know, every, every that's the whatever you like. 
capacity there for you yeah. you know like and you can do that if you like catch so you can do that if you catch perch pike stripers the options are, are endless here it's great about his he is he in my he's the go you know for striper guys on a flock I and mean, the guy is just an absolute maniac with yeah He's just cats are absolutely massive, and he's doing it. so. When I go for fishing, I catch I catch a lot of really big fish, but it's night, always, always at night. James day, like I'm like, where? <laughs> what are you? Yeah, <laughs> like what are you? All? Yeah, and I love where the way you? like James Woody. When he posts a picture of a fish, if he if he posts a picture of a fish, it's he's always doing it the right way. Like he's showing if he's holding the fish out of the water, you could see the water dripping off of it. If he's if he's if it's in the water, he's taking care of the fish. He just does such a he's a real steward of mm-hmm. the sport for you know future generations, which is which is huge. And I think we need more of that in this state. Just mm-hmm. I mean, and there's a lot of guys that get out of work and they grab a six pack of Budweiser and a bucket of worms and they stop at the brook of the way home and and catch fish or catch stock trout. And that's fine. Getting outside it is. But if you're going to invest in the fly, the sport of fly fishing, why not? What's the word I'm looking for? Why not make sure it's there for for everybody to enjoy for the rest of our yeah. lives. What's interesting is like, I view is almost relying on guys like me and James to teach the, they are like, yeah. like relying yeah. on or Instagram to teach people the whole fish or why you should this way, or why you should support for doing it because we that area of education done anywhere. Get it, you know? Right. And so we care about what we want people to take care of. And most of the people that see doing stuff that's like a big no-no, they are just don't know, you know, because yeah. they don't, they didn't have dad or grandpa or whoever to teach them the, the do's and don'ts. So it's like they're, they, they're looking to us to, for information and it's like that's great and i appreciate all the follows and everyone who who was in my little world but ifnw should really be doing that that you know that's really their responsibility and you know it just goes back to the little it'd be so easy to send people an email or write a few articles on how to properly hold a fish and how to properly catch it and release it if you want yeah. or keep it even keep it how to kill it like you know, if you want to keep a fish, which I don't, but I have no problem. People want to stay within their limits and keep their stuff. Go for it. That's your, you know, that's your right. I don't care. But how I see people just, you know, put a fish somewhere and just let it squiggle. It's like, dude, if you're gonna if you're gonna keep it, at least do it the service of killing it the right way, the best yeah. way. You know, a way that that gives some dignity to the life of of that fish so it's like you know there's so there's just a lot of opportunities 
to educate the public in a really, really simple, non-aggressive, non-confrontational way. And IFNW is not doing it. And maybe they, it's because they see social media and they see guys like me and, and James and whoever, and they just, they're like, well, that's good enough, you know, but, but I, I, th- I, I think they should be doing more. For it, This is kind of, this is deer hunting, but years ago when I shot my first deer, I, it was laying in the field dead. And of course I'm so amped up, you know, you talk about the musky adrenaline rush shooting a deer has got to be that. I mean, it's, it's that for me just because I haven't really experienced other adrenaline rushes. So you're standing there and I was by myself at the time, but my father-in-law showed up and he was like, you know, he crouched down, patted the deer on the back. And it was just that, that moment of like, all right, let's this thing, let's give it some dignity. Let's, you know, you're happy. It's you're happy you, you harvested the deer, but it also fed your family and, and you know, and you you were outside doing it. So and it's the same thing with a fish. If I if I kill a fish to eat, I don't let it suffer laying on the ra- laying around on the bank of the river. I dispatch yeah. it properly right. and and uh because it is it is they deserve it as much as you deserve to take that fish home and eat it as anybody else sure you know it's yeah it's like you know it's the thing people look at at, for some reason i don't know why but people look at fish as lesser and i i don't know why i don't know when that started but they don't you know when you shoot a deer you shoot an animal it's it's people treat it differently and yeah. for me, it's the exact opposite. You know, it's like I, I treat the animals that I kill. I probably should treat them with, with more dignity because I treat fish like they're fucking gods swimming yeah. on air. You know? like, yeah. <laughs> I don't, <laughs> I don't like, want to break you. Please go back. Yeah. Like, you know, like, so. And I've got had to a point, boy. Go ahead. Yeah. I was going to say it got to a point that last year I was so like, I don't know. I was having a real struggle with fly fishing because you (laughs) there's no way around it you are inflicting an unbelievable amount of harm to this creature like you know imagine lassoing a deer and then riding it around (laughs) until you catch it and then you let it go you know like it it, and so for a for a portion last year i started fishing with hookless flies I, i had hookless flies i just wanted to see the fish yeah. And like watch it and study it. And I was like, you know, that, that it didn't last long. I was like, well, this isn't as, this isn't as great, <laughs> but there was an, in, there was an internal struggle with like, you know, giving dignity to the fish and like, what am I doing if I'm just catching and releasing is it, yeah. should I even be doing it? You know? And, and it's, it's that struggle that internal you know like when you shoot a deer or when you catch a fish or if you have that like you know moment of like thank you you know that is what makes great great stewards that's what makes great stewards absolutely the people the people who care about it and you cannot care if you don't understand the only reason you care about killing that deer is because you understand its struggle you're struggling yourself, but you understand the daily struggles of deer. You've studied them. You've put yep. your time and effort in and, and you understand them. And that understanding leads to caring and compassion and great stewards. And 
you get that through education, you get that through learning, you know, whether yeah. that's from a book or, or being out there on the water or in the woods, you, you learn that at some point. And so, you know, if IFW just provided some learning opportunities, then you might make better stewards. I, I believe that very, very passionate. Absolutely. Great stewards come, come from great understanding. And, it, and, and it's, uh, yeah, it's, so. it's great what you're doing to do that. But like you said, it's not really, it's not really your job to make no. sure you're doing it because you love doing it and, and people follow you for it, but it's, it'd be great to see the state stand behind it and have you just mm -hmm. be a steward of the state really, because I'm sure you'd love to go on your Instagram and say, this is what I do, but the state of Maine says it the best. And right now it's kind of the state of Maine's like, well, ask Greg. Yeah. <laughs> he knows better. Right. Than we know. pretty good. Yeah. So, so yeah. Cause you know, I'm not getting paid for it. Yeah. Hey, they are getting paid for it, you know? Yeah. So it's like, it, 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 it seems again to be somewhat hypocritical of them to say, you can't fish here. You can fish here. You can keep fish. You can keep this many. You can use this lure, but we're not going to provide any education on how to take care of them. Right. That seems, that seems hypocritical to me. And, you know, they, once you get away with one thing, you know, you just keep getting away with it. And IFNW has been hypocritical many, many times. And, you know, they don't receive any real backlash because, they have real no, they have no oversight, you know, they are their own entity. They, they have no boss to answer to, you know, Mills is, you know, the governor that they answer to, but Mills doesn't really oversee the day-to-day -day operations. Yeah. She doesn't, she doesn't dictate laws and stuff that go into actual practice. And so these people, they're just acting on their own accord and what they think is best, you know, right. and that's tough. That's really tough. What would be great is if we had a third party come in and do a review of IFNW practices, because that third party would be neutral. They wouldn't care if it was great or bad. They just would, here's our findings, you know, yeah. if IFNW could do that for fisheries, that might illuminate, some larger issues that we're talking about but, they, but i think they you go, it goes back to that nepotism though and like you think about think about an entity like trout unlimited where their ultimate goal is the healthiness of a trout population wherever it is you think about sebago trout unlimited walking in to ifnw and being like all right show us how you do everything they would fucking clam up so fast because they know they've been fucking the public <laughs> for so long yeah. and really fucking the fisheries because it, they truly haven't. I, I struggle to come up with a good thing that IFNW has done in the past 10 years for any fishery that I'm impacted by. Mm -hmm. sure, yeah, I, I can come up with a few. I can. They put, you guys might not know this, but so there was this famous hole in uh, Rangeley and it's an incredible hole. Some of the best brook trout in, in the world. And they sit there in September and there are literally a hundred brook trout that are probably 
Some of them are up to six pounds and they sit in this hole no bigger than the room I'm in right now. It's incredible. So I fished this hole for about 10 years now. I stopped fishing it a couple of years ago because I think it's unethical, but they, uh, they got reports of high snagging because the water is only a couple feet deep and guys just go in there with heavy nymphs and they just drag them on the bottom, snag the fish, take a picture with it and put it back. So yeah. the catch and release only. So IFNW put a game camera up over the hole. And so it watches you fish and it takes pictures of you as you're fishing and it actually stopped, um, the snagging and, uh, I go there every year just to watch because it's like, it's one of the most, you know, I don't tell anyone because it's too, it's just too valued. I think they should close it off to fishing period because it's like one of our last native brook trout populations going up ready, getting ready to spawn, you know, and yeah. guys are just absolutely hammering them. But uh, they did put the camera there in an effort to ease sort of the snagging. And I thought that was a huge step forward. I was like, wow, they actually care. That's pretty cool. And that is, I, yeah. yeah, it's, it was awesome. And so I know that some biologists and I have many, I biologists are my friends. Like I, I know several of them on a personal level. So I know they're not bad people. You know what yeah. I mean? Like well, they, I right. know they are, they are handcuffed. A lot of them, they are handcuffed. And it's, if they could just, do what they want to, we would probably see a lot different fisheries, but a lot of them have said to me, we manage anglers, not fish. And that there lies the, the problem yeah. is IFNW is managing anglers and not fish. That's their philosophy. That's their mentality. Um, we need that to change. Right. If you that's... saw that change, we, we manage fish and not people, then you could probably rattle off a bunch of things that IFNW had done for bettering the fishing around you, you know? Right. But, and, and I mean, too, like, it also plays into the wardens should be managing the fishermen. But, mm -hmm. you know, wardens aren't right. everywhere. I mean, I just think about the state and the amount of wardens we have compared to other states of similar outdoor side, out, outdoorsness mm -hmm. of us. We're way low. I mean. Way, 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 way low. I can honestly say I've been checked by a main warden on one occasion in mm -hmm. 22 years of hunting and fishing. I've never been checked fishing. Yeah. Like I saw, I saw a warden one day when we were on, I was up on Mousem with my boat and he was pulling out the same time we were. And we sat there and my kids got to say hi and, you know, hit this siren on his boat and whatever. But you know, that was the one time we saw him. And that's mm -hmm. the only other place I've saw another warden at, you know, when we were duck hunting in Maine. Nowhere else. And I mean, granted, I live in southern Maine. There's not a ton of people mm -hmm. per capita that are hunting and fishing. I know the guy that's down here, you know, I see him more. I see the Marine, uh, the Marine patrol officer more just because I'm on the water mm -hmm. more. But it's, you know, it's nowhere near what it should be. You know, never run into a warden running any of the roads up. The only time I've been yeah. caught by a warden fly fishing, he took my fly rod from me and said I was catching yeah, he, he, was, he, was, he wasn't even working. He was on his way home. And he stopped by and just started shooting the shit. We were 
crushing some beers down at the local little river. I mean, they stock it. It's, it's just a stock mm. trout river. And he walked up and he he took <laughs> my fly rod out of my hand and and said, "You're doing it wrong." And he cast it in the water and said, "There's a fish right there." And handed it back to me and left. <laughs> and I, was, I was just like dumbfounded, but it, yeah, at least he was out I, there. I yeah, I too. Let's see here. I have been stopped once ice fishing on Tuzankuk, and I have seen a warden once fly fishing, and yeah. that is in it's just like you know, it's not acceptable. And I don't know, they've had the job description and availability up for several years to asking for wardens, so yeah. it's not like they're not promoting it. I wonder if it's just they just can't get enough people because the entry level they get paid not very well. And yeah. so if if they were to allocate more funds to warden salaries, then I bet that you would see an increase in wardens. But if you're getting, you know, entry level and you just deal with absolute shitheads all day long and you're getting paid 38,000, 40,000 a year, you're like, am I, you know, I could bag groceries at, yeah. at, at Hannaford and make the same wage, you know, it's yeah. like, so I think that, and that the same problem is with fish bios. And I came up with an idea that I thought was, would solve this issue is just like a duck stamp, put a fish stamp out there. And so basically you would need to pay five dollars um and i know this is a touchy subject i've thought about it a lot i understand but in order to preserve and conserve our resources for our grandkids we're gonna need more help and so put a five dollar stamp somewhere maybe for fish because i was thinking okay if you want to improve conservation stuff put a five dollar stamp people buy it with their license and that they could do something like that for the wardens. There are how many licenses a year, a million, something like a million, something. So if you put a $5 stamp for whatever, and it could go towards warden license, uh, warden salaries, you know, you could have $5 million basically to play around with. Yeah. How many more wardens could you hire with 5 million? You could buy, you could hire enough. You could also hire enough fish bios and you could hire more deer bios and more whatever bios you know yeah so i don't know why they haven't done that i think obviously people get very touchy when you start asking for more money but i really I, I i've never i will never complain about spending more money if i see action taken right. from it you know what i mean right the my yeah, biggest fear is they get you know, an extra $5 per license. That just means we get 5,000 more fucking musky snacks down the fucking river, you know? <laughs> yeah. And that's the reality of the stocking program is how much money does that cost the state versus what it actually brings in? You know, whereas yeah. if you, I, I, I wrote a, an article um, on it on how much money each fish costs. Um, and it comes around between five and eight dollars. Yeah. Perfect. And how many fish so, are we dumping a year in the state? Yeah. Yeah. So that wild. when you break it down, when you break it down to energy inputs, so how much food they're consuming, 
what the cost is to keep the facilities up, how much it costs to pay the people. Each fish is somewhere between five and eight dollars, depending on how big it is. And uh, yeah, so you're looking at a lot. I mean, a lot of money. And it's like, man, could we be spending that money elsewhere? Boy, could we ever, you know? So I, 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 the stock stocking program stinks. It just stinks, and it's a, yeah. it's it's holding back a lot of other avenues that could progress. And, yeah. and that's my point. Is that is, oh yeah. yeah. I don't want to see the money go away, but I want to see the money or the funds or the effort put into something that is actually semi beneficial at this point, because. I mean, maybe it has its benefits in a few areas. Maybe the stocking program does. I mean, it does get kids out. It does get, you know, people access to other areas where they may not go. But like you said, you're dumping fish into waters where you know they're dead on impact. Like, or they're not going to last the four days, the next four days, because the water temperature is 72. And it's like... Mm -hmm. uh, Come on, guys. Like, let's let's be smart about this. Like, I I look at I I go I keep going back to Connecticut, uh, and I'm not a fan of that state at all. But what they do and the money they invest in their fisheries down there is fucking incredible. And I mean, mm -hmm. handicap accessible fishing areas. I mean, truly, pull a wheelchair up to a pool mm -hmm. where it is stocked with rainbows. It's stocked with browns. It's perfect. You know, anyone can access it. They have wardens at patrol. I've been stopped more down in Connecticut fishing than I have in Maine. I've lived here my whole life. I mean, <laughs> you know, but seeing it and seeing the fish there and seeing them manage the fisheries and why are we not, you know, why are we not closing a, a Maine trout fishery during the summer? Why do we not treat it like well, Montana, you know, or, or well, you know, out west? I don't know if the public was privy to this, but IFNW actually, I take, I'm going to take total credit for this. So I, I pushed the hoot owl restrictions, which is what you're talking about. Yeah. Heavily tagged IFNW in it, did it a bunch, did a bunch of stuff, a bunch of people. Um, I did a poll, a bunch of people, whatever, voted on it, tagged IFNW in it, talked about it on my podcast and IFNW. It, I'm not sure if it's available to the public or not. I got it got my hands on it they just did their own internal review of hoodal regulations oh shit and uh yeah 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 and the report i have it and uh the report they found is that um they it was the most boy it was a bad it was bad <laughs> it was bad <laughs> coming from a scientist somebody who's done research and some yeah. of scientists like it was extremely poorly done and what they found, their conclusions were that um, fishing success goes down when the temperatures get hot. So, you know, the fishing fish stop eating, they sort of slow down. And uh, they found that because the fishing slows down, although the mortality rate goes up, the success rate goes way down. So although basically every fish that you catch, if the water's above 70, is you're killing it, you're just not going to catch as many. So they said, well, there's no point in putting hoot owl regulations because <laughs> it doesn't matter. That's what that was their conclusion to their paper. And I was like, holy shit, what what like lopsided logic, like just shut it yeah. down. 
just or even if you want to like baby step it in just put uh what like idaho and all i mean basically all the the western states do they do voluntary hoot owl regulations so they put up signs on big you know rivers and say hey we would suggest you don't fish during these times because it can be detrimental to fish health and like anglers can choose to do that or not so right. if that's how you want to do it i think that's that's a good first step see how it's vol it's voluntary see how the angling community reacts to it and boom i guarantee you if you educate people and say hey if you catch a fish in 70 degree water you're killing it like right. it's 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 dead then people would be like oh i don't want to do that if it's a catch and release only you know i don't want to kill fish i just want to catch them. it's like all right you can't do it during the middle of the day when the water's really hot so it's like just there are things that could be done and better studies could be done with more money and you could definitely take money from the stocking program. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I will, I have a great story that will probably make you hate stocking even more. So I <laughs> <laughs> and W um, the pond, what was its name? I, I want to say it was Parker Pond, but I can't remember this. Don't quote me on that. But anyways, I'll just say a pond. So this pond, they stocked yearly with salmon. Um, and the regulation was you can keep one uh, above 14. That was the regulation. And angling was decent, but you only caught 14-inch salmon, obviously. If you set the regulation at 14, that's all you're going to catch. Right. So pe people were kind of like, eh, kind of pissed or whatever, but whatever. They accidentally forgot to stock it one year. They just forgot. They got somehow there was a mishap, didn't stock it. And during their creel surveys, they found that angling um, success was about the same, maybe a little bit lower. But the average catch of the salmon was up to roughly around 18 inches instead of 14. And then if you, you know, if you're if you're catching fish, an 18 inch salmon over 14 that's that's a huge difference that yeah that's what makes a fishing a fishery go from just okay to oh this is great you know and uh so they were like oh they did all these reviews because they thought it was weird and they looked at it and they said oh we didn't stock it so what they did was they stocked it the next year and angling success um was good but there was a little decrease in salmon size and what they found was that they were overpopulating the lake with their stocking events, which drove bait fish populations down. So now they stock the pond every other year. And it's like, how many other ponds, <laughs> how many other ponds is this happening to? Right. Where just by, just by stocking fish there, you're basically overpopulating it, driving food resources down and creating a lesser fishery. That's well, so, we don't want to think you know, about like, that. We'll just keep doing it the way we've done it. <laughs> like, you know what I that, mean? Like, that's a hard question. But, yeah, we're just going to ignore it. All right. So, some good. old white haired dude in Augusta just took a sip of his Cumberland Farms coffee. It was <laughs> yeah. like, he said, we got we to put more fish in that pond. <laughs> well, it's like, the, so it's like the, the, what, fucking... what the, the problem, the problem right. is though, is that, is that, they don't have enough money or hands to do these kinds of studies. Yeah. And so they're just saying, 
well, people are catching fish, so whatever. Let's just keep doing what we're doing. And it's like, well, you could be making a, such a better fishery if you sort of studied it a little bit more. But what you need is more people and more money. And, you know, if you went to imagine how much money we could save if we stocked places every other year, not every year, yeah. right? you know, and, and then you could get the money and the new hires to do the studies to really make the best fisheries possible. But that's probably not going to happen, you know, with the current regime as it is. No, but I mean, still, like, like I just renewed all my licenses. I mean, like you probably had to do as well. New year. And it's, you know, main resident hunt fish, 43 bucks. Make it 50. Mm-hmm. I don't give a fuck. Make it 60. I still don't care. Make it 100. <laughs> all right. 100. 100 might be my limit for like, <laughs> like if they went straight from 43 to 100, I'd be a little pissed off. But like, also, if we start to see results, and that's the biggest thing, and that I think that's why they need to be have that social media presence. And that's that's kind of what's lost on this generation of people that are in power in these organizations now, where like you see Trout Unlimited is completely flipped their shit where they're doing everything's on social media, they're posting everything that they're doing, and guess what? They're getting support. You know, Ducks Unlimited doing the same thing, you know, if Main IFNW says, hey, we're going to raise your permit cost fucking $5. This is why, and this is where you'll see it. People, I think, would be more understanding versus, I mean, five or whatever it was, three or four years ago, the federal duck stamp went from five. It had always been five or 15, and it jumped to 25. You didn't lose anyone that was actually going to duck hunt. You might lose the occasional person that's like, oh, Maybe I'll just buy a duck stamp to go out for a couple days. Maybe that person looks at it and goes, oh, it's 10 more dollars. I don't want to do it. Uh, Okay. Mm -hmm. Are you really losing a great steward for that event? No. So who the fuck cares? Like, it's not costing you that much money. (laughs) And with the duck stamp, like, when I go and pay for my migratory permit and my duck stamp in the back of my mind i'm thinking i don't care because this is going towards ducks who were not on a good path many decades ago and now are in they're doing great you know and so it's ah. like <laughs> well, you know depends on we live in maine, so I mean, yeah we live in maine i guess yeah but like you know they're doing fine and so when I pay for that, I don't even think twice about it because I know what it's going to. And I know that before they had that stamp, ducks were in a yeah, bad place. Yeah. You know? And so it's like, so I don't mind spending whatever, you know, I don't care. And I, I duck hunt, I probably go out four or five, six times a year, you know? Yeah. And I don't do it a lot, but I don't care. I'm, I'm like, I'm going to get my stamp. I want to ha- I want to be part of the help, but you see it, you know, you see it, Ducks Unlimited, you see a lot of this stuff. So yeah, I agree. IFW needs to be more. Hey, if they just had that longevity plan laid out, hey, this is what we are going to see in year one. This is what we're going to do in year two. By year five, this is what you should see, or this is what we're planning to see. 
Right. If you did that and then you could follow along, you could get as much money as you wanted out of yeah. out of people, you know, yeah. as yeah. much money as you wanted. But, but for I think whatever it, reason, I but uh, also I think we're all I mean we're all sitting here bitching about them, and it's like right now I mean if the IFMW came out and said all right we want to charge you fifty bucks I'd be like well what are you gonna do with it because I don't trust you what with what you're doing now so like. And, and I think that's where their social media presence has to come in and they really have to get out in front of it and say, look, these are our anticipated changes. This is why, you know, show people the why and everyone's going to be on board. If you don't tell anyone why and you just show up with a you know, $5 increase on a license, everyone's going to flip their shit. But if you sit mm-hmm. there, I think they should make an ice fishing. I would rather pay for an ice fishing license, too. Why not? Mm-hmm. Charge me 20 yeah. bucks. 20 bucks to go ice fishing mm. sounds fucking great. Like I, right. I actually thought it was odd. I hadn't ice fished for probably 15 years. I ice fished mm. a lot in high school and into college and then stopped. And then my neighbor is a complete degenerate and loves ice fishing. <laughs> and like, we'll go up and we'll target trout and we'll target splake and we'll, you know, we'll go do trips and, I've got more money tied up in ice fishing shit in the last five years than anything else. And it's like, you know, why am I not paying more to go do this? Why is it still just $43 for me to be able to shoot a deer, catch any fish I want? And it, well, whatever, it's another $7 to hunt migratory waterfowl. Okay. So it's $50. I think my license was fifty two fifty. Like that's nothing for yeah. every opportunity that is given. Right. Now I would also, I would like to see a lifetime license at any age. I don't care if it's five thousand dollars right now. I buy it. <laughs> and that was one of my ways to get them money, like immediately. Like, uh-huh. come out yeah. with a lifetime license if you're a main resident. Lifetime license right now, thousand dollars. Oh yeah, I would do that in a heartbeat. I mean, that would still take me twenty five years to pay off. Right. But if you put that in front of me right now, I would have no problem spending that money. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There, there are. You made a. You, you hit the nail on the head of the biggest problem, though, and that is, you said, I do not trust them. Right. And that is it. That there is no trust between user and IFW. That I think is their hesitancy of why they might not want to charge more money because there is no trust. And it's like, well, how do you build trust? And it's, you know, that's a tough, that's a tricky, tricky situation. A, a great trust building is getting out there in the public, like the warden at, at the Sebago Tackle Shop. That's a great way to build trust is to be more in the Present. public, yeah. put your yeah. faces out there. The other thing that I always thought was interesting and I think would lead to more trust is how come we are not electing these positions? Yeah. Why are they hiring them? They are, they are for everything else that's governing a body. It's always an election, you right. know, you do elections for your friggin' school committees in your towns. Why are we not electing our fish files? Why yeah. are we not electing these, these positions? Like they are, they are making calls that is going to affect our lives on a daily basis in greater ways than, you know, your town committee that you vote for, uh, you know, in your town's voting. So it's like, if you were to put votes up, 
that might be a way to build trust because it's like you, the people elected them. I trust this person because right now, if you were to say, do 50% of anglers and hunters trust I F and W? No chance. No chance. There's no chance. But if you elected them, that trust would have to be. I trust the water coming out of the Lewiston auburn <laughs> wastewater treatment plant more than i do uh made ifw but like even if it was it doesn't have to be like i mean start with the commissioner all right let's not make mm-hmm. that an appointed position or a hired position like you said let's least, vote let's vote a bit make sure they're qualified yeah. and and but like you said too vet, they have no up. they have no oversight you know i think like mm-hmm. migratory waterfowl has the whether it's good or bad, you do have the federal government overseeing it. Nobody mm-hmm. trusts them. Nobody trusts them, but at least <laughs> at least it's someone else to kind of say, "Hey, we gotta kind of mm. we gotta kind of do some stuff here." You know, right? What what could there be? I mean, I I work in nuclear power. I'm you know, and we have our own internal governing body. It's not you know, we do have the nuclear regulatory committee. They oversee all of us, but then. There's also every operating facility in the in the country pays into a group called INPO, which is the Institute of Nuclear Power Operators. That's a self-funded group that comes around and does exactly what you said, benchmarking and says, hey, you're fucking up here. You're doing good here. Keep going or, you know, here's some things to learn. And it's like there's a lot of states out there with a lot of fish and a lot of people and a lot of pressure and they've been able to manage them a lot fucking better than we have. So what can we do? And I don't think really the main IFNW is looking outside of the border of the state to, you know, learn anything to help other than how to grow fish. But if they are, if they are, they haven't put any of it into practice. Yeah. You know what I mean? Or publicly. Yeah. Yeah. And I know because I go sometimes. So there are like national fisheries conferences and there are these big fisheries conferences and I go to them every so often. And I do see IFNW biologists there. I do see them. So I know that they're going and they know and that it goes back to a lot of them say they're handcuffed and they just can't do, you know, they have these benchmarks that they need to do. So it's like, there's a real in IFNW and it's always been this way and it's still really this way. There's a huge top down. It's very top down. And what they need to do is sort of distribute power more equally. Yeah. Give some more free give some more freedom to the fish biologist, the local fish biologist, because they have ideas. They they want to do stuff, but they just don't have the power. And, you know, if they did that, focused more locally, gave some more freedom gain some more trust by maybe doing some more public appearances stuff like that then that's how you improve fisheries that's how you improve relationships build trust but they won't ifw is just so top heavy they've always been top heavy and they're just even camuso her some of her calls have been shot down um by mills you know it's got to be i don't know who they would get shot down other yeah yeah. outside of that it's got to be mills and that is an issue. You know what I mean? Like Mills shouldn't be shooting down anything that Camuso suggests because Mills has no expertise. 
Right. You know, Camuso yeah. has been a wildlife biologist for whatever, 15, 20 years or something. That's why you know, she's like, in that position. You're just going there basically to check a box to say, Hey, this is what we want to do. We're not going to cost the state any more money, but we need to make these changes to preserve our fisheries. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, they have a lot of changes to make and we're just, it's the, I think the, the real issue or one of the biggest, you know, chinks in the armor is how old IFNW is. Yeah. And so I remember when I was, so I was going to be a fish bio. I had a couple job interviews and I kind of had a position lined up when I was going for it. They had retired four fish bios. So four fish bios retired in the same year with a combined 250 <laughs> years of experience. <laughs> and I was like, so you know, as a newcomer with all my fisheries, you know, knowledge, I had a ton of questions like, why are we still doing this? This isn't best practice anymore. Why are we still doing this? And it's like, oh, because Joe Schmo is 76. Yeah. He learned when he was 20 that stalking over native fish is fine. Who cares? You know what I mean? Right. Genetics weren't even a thing when he was in college, you know? So it's like <laughs> that, that, that has led to a lot of our our lingering issues I think is that we have no turnover and when we do get turnover they don't leave they go up higher and right. then they're making the decisions off what they know and what they know is already outdated so it's like yeah they're, they're just I don't know I think that is fixed by distributing power because your local guys are usually younger and they're more knowledgeable they're fresh out of college they they might be you know new to whatever but they know best practices they know what's best for fish you know and if we could give them more power i think fishing would be a lot different in maine but yeah we yeah. just don't give them that power you know we pay them to ride around on a snowmobile and say did you catch a fish today yeah okay that's a, that's a smiley face sticker in my book that's what well, we pay them to do, you know so it's that's how i feel with the 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 bird biologist too. I mean, if you go into the bug dust of how they count birds and how they set limits, it's the same way they've done it since the seventies. They count the same three fucking ponds in remote areas for nesting hatches. And I'm like, you know, we do have like drones. You could fly all (laughs) over these places in a day. Like, yeah, get up, do something, get off your ass. I like, I, and I understand that, you know, the people that do want to be out there doing it are handcuffed. And I don't mean it to come off and sound rude, but it's like when I get a, a survey of, oh, how many ducks did I harvest? And it's like, you should be having good numbers by being out in the field and being able to figure that out. Like, and I, and I get it that, you know, it's a large state and there's a lot of hunters and stuff, but like, if I haven't run into a, marine biologist or you know a a wildlife biologist or a warden in 10 years what the fuck like why why am i gonna do your job for you at this point and like Mm -hmm. that's where i'm starting to get like resentment for like not seeing not having that face-to-face where it's like well now i don't even want to fund you because you're pushing everything onto the consumer that i'm paying for this like come on guys Mm -hmm. like 
Yeah, gonna... boy, does I does IFW trust in friggin' surveys more than anything? Oh my god! Oh, oh, it's the worst. So there's been many, many, many studies that have shown that angler surveys, I'm sure it applies to duck surveys as well, are one of the worst metrics. Yeah. Of deciding how a population is doing, it's literally like you cannot. You could just throw darts at a board, and that would be a better estimate of what's going on. And IFNW does surveys for everything, and yeah. it's like, dude, this has been shown to be the worst way to tell how a population is doing. So why are you even asking me? Like, it's such a yeah. poor. It's it's misleading. And then when you get it into the public's hands, you're you're making them make decisions on misleading data. Right. So you're like, oh boy. And then it's just and then once knowledge is out there, you can't ever get it back. Like yeah. once you put a thought into someone's head, it's there. You can't ever get it back. And it's so hard to change that thought. So once you put that misleading data out there, people think, oh, this is it. This is the way it is. And it's like, whoa 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 and then how do you backtrack that you can't you know any survey results they should put on it this is inaccurate it means absolutely nothing <laughs> we can't even use it that's we like a disclaimer yeah yeah we i don't even fill them out half anything. the time i just well, delete and, them and i mean the duck one is uh did you shoot one to ten eleven uh -huh. to twenty or twenty plus <laughs> And it's like, okay, right. you, you never asked me how many days I hunted last year. So are you just assuming because I hunted, I got bought a license and I say I killed over 30 ducks that I hunted every day to do that? Or did mm -hmm. I hunt right. whatever, six, seven days to get that limit? Like, mm -hmm. you don't know that. Yeah. Like, am yeah. I going down it to the duck pond here in town and sign netting some ducks? I mean, maybe. <laughs> right. Like and like the other thing is there is a huge difference between 11 and 20 yeah. <laughs> a massive difference yeah. <laughs> like a huge huge difference you know and like with with angling surveys they ask you how big the fish was what if you didn't keep it like right. oh i don't know that's a 12 inch fish or that's a 13 inch fish. Well, what if it was a 15 or what if it was an eight and you said it was 12 you know what i mean like it's just it's so inaccurate i don't the fact that they're still doing these makes me wonder if they're actually not using the data, but if they're just doing it to make it seem like they're doing something and it keeps the users happy. Like, oh, they're using my data. They must be doing something with it. That's good. Yeah. But I, th speaking scientifically, you can't do anything with the angling surveys or the duck survey. You, you simply cannot do anything no. with it. It's ju just enough. Like, you might as well just throw out random numbers. So like, what are the, where is that data going? Who's getting it and who's using it and what are they using it for? I, I don't like, it's very, very interesting to me that they're still doing that. It's really poor practice and it, yeah, just blow it. It blows my mind. Blows my oh, mind. I have and no that's idea. the thing is like, I, I was pretty good about doing them. And then now all of a sudden they say mallard populations are down in the, Atlantic flyway. So they're going to drop mallard limits down. They did. Mm -hmm. And they dropped it from four to two. And it's like, okay, well, you do that based on what my survey or are you actually out here counting anything? Cause I've never seen you. So if I've never seen you right. and you're doing it off my survey, 
oh, I'm not doing your fucking survey and I'm not doing your job anymore. Get out here. Let me see you. And if I have that face to face interaction and they're like, yeah, you know, hey, we looked at these and you can give me an explanation, even if it might be weak. I would at least rather talk to someone face to face rather than just be like, oh, yep, you get two ducks this year. And I mean, I understand yeah. they do have the the meetings, you know, Maine IFNW does have a meeting over duck limits and duck everything, but it's not really a meeting as much as it is a sermon of this is what we're doing. Right. You know, we haven't changed the start date of our season in 30 years. Hmm. You're telling me, right. you're telling me that, oh, it's 52 degrees outside today in Southern Maine and hmm. migratory patterns aren't changing because of that. Like get the fuck out of here! Like, yeah. Now, boy, I today. Yeah, I. Saw, uh, so I saw, I don't know, or I saw the desert and mallards, and then something else. Gansers mixed in. I mean, I saw a shit ton of ducks. Yeah, where you, you could have been hunting problem, and it's like, yeah, regular. We that. <laughs> I don't know if you remember remember this. It was toasty, and like it's gonna be toasty and toasty. November, yeah. December, well, so yeah, five degrees outside today. So things you have with deer too, like rut. The rut has changed significantly. Absolutely, yeah. When I get I don't even hunt deer. I know. I didn't notice this. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. They're not. Oh, they're not. seasons because they're they're open day, closing day. They don't really really jive with going on in the real world anymore. Right. And and you know, it's not. It's gonna you know stop. Changing. It's gonna continue to change. So. Yeah. Look like keep getting warm, so you you gotta you gotta make some. And, or we we just oh. hope that maybe it starts going back the other way, and then they might be right again. I don't <laughs> <Yeah>. know. Like <laughs> at this point, that's my hope. I fucking a like we're so far down this rabbit hole of just yeah. like our season dates, and even even the you know some of the fishing and when when fish are actually going up to spawn, like. I, I enjoy that it still shuts down early just for the fish's sake, but also I think you could probably make a pretty good case to stretch that out a little bit further just because of the shift in temperatures that's happened in this area. What they should do, they still have been seeing this forever. I think that on a prestigious native trout stream, down yes and up for 20 extended days October yeah and because you're right that so I wanted to go is one of the streams it had natural spawn that late late I was going to do something and I took a stream temp in the Kennebec and it was 69 degrees and I okay I was like so I'm I'm not fishing you know, yeah, and it was like I looked around. I I didn't see the fish normally in their normal spot. Water was so hot. Like, this is done. 
Otherwise, it's dumb. So if they for August when it's you know that would the candy here's your candy bar and it would the move of fish right you know yeah. when they're actually moving so same thing with duck thing here i mean same you know same well it's like, i mean especially where we live in the digital age and it's not like we all don't get the emails and i mean you can very easily come out and say hey we're shutting down like we've looked at this stream like i would rather them have an app just to let me know like hey we're out here. We did stream temp checks. We've been studying the fish for a day or two, and we think we should shut down this river. Absolutely. I would support you with so much more fucking money if you guys start doing that. You know what I mean? And like, that's what it's. I think it really is just getting out in the public eye and getting what you are doing to preserve the fishery and what the money's going to. And if they do that, I think they can have the world by the balls. And I, but I just don't know yeah. if they'll ever fucking figure that out yeah i don't know it's clarity it's business that you support you clarity yeah you yeah to a place you want to know where your money's going you you, you bought this meat store you want to know where the meat is like you just everything is clarity make much happier yeah and we know what's happening and especially with natural resources so want to know and I, they just they figured it out in my lifetime so far. Yeah. yeah. They figured that out. A lot of heads, that's for sure. Well, um, man. We went way fucking longer than we said we were going to at the beginning <laughs> of this. It's fucking almost nine o'clock. I'm sorry for taking up so much of your time, but it's. You get in a conversation like this, and we could probably bitch about IFNW for the better part of a week. So yeah, but yeah, yeah. I I uh, thank you guys. On, I always love. Yeah, fish. absolutely. Like that, that's you know that's why we do it. So and uh, keep doing what you're doing, man. Yeah, uh, mainflyguys.com and mainflyguys on Instagram. Is that right? Yeah, that go check it out. And uh, yeah, I appreciate all the support. Absolutely. And they got just let me know. Yeah, we'll get you out for more than four or five duck days too <laughs> in the future. <laughs> Need that. I appreciate it. All right, man. Have All a right. great night. Appreciate See it. See you, brother. Thanks. Thanks, Craig.